Hi, this is Matt Trefiro, host of Over the Edge, the only podcast focused on teaching you about edge computing, the grid, and the future of the internet. On this show, I interview experts and practitioners with deep knowledge and expertise in digital infrastructure and the software and technologies that support it. We'll even throw in a little metaverse, Web3, and cryptocurrency to keep it on trend. Join us each episode for a mind-expanding romp through the vast technological and business landscape that is quickly defining our new digital worlds. Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Ali Fenn. Ali is the former CEO of IT Renew, which was recently acquired by Iron Mountain. She is an expert in green computing, sustainability, and is a dynamic and innovative executive with a track record of success in business development, sales, and product management. She is currently a board member of Cato and strategic advisor for Energy Internet Corporation, as well as Pentatonic. This episode was recorded when Ali was still at IT Renew. In this episode, Ali breaks down the journey of technology from pre-use to post-use and analyzes the amount of carbon emission produced throughout its life cycle. She also talks about creating a circular IT infrastructure, demystifying hyperscale hardware, and causes of the lion's share of carbon emissions. She ends the episode talking about a need for the world's collective effort in solving unsustainable IT infrastructure. Before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with Edge Solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting Dell.com for more information or click on the link in the show notes. And now, please enjoy this interview between Ali Fenn and your host, Matt Trefiro. Hi, this is Matt Trefiro, CMO of Edge Infrastructure Company Vapor.io. Today, I'm here with Ali Fenn, president of IT Renew. We're going to talk about Ali's background in technology, her journey at IT Renew, and how IT Renew's unique approach is helping enterprises scale sustainably and securely decommission their critical infrastructure. Hi, Ali. How are you today? I'm excellent, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, you bet. So one of the things I always like to ask my guests is, how did you even get involved in technology? I actually started my career as, a, as an investment banker doing technology finance work and very quickly realized that well, at first, I had the good fortune of doing that out in San Francisco, not on Wall Street, which led me to be exposed to all of the first generation Internet companies, dot com companies and so forth. And I got I did my typical two late, year, late 90s, late 90s. Yeah, I started in 96. So I guess that that tells you about how old I am. But. Yeah, I think Mosaic <laughs> came out in 1995. Exactly. So I very quickly realized that I I was a player and not a coach and wanted to be actually in the game building things and not not as an advisor on the finance side. So did my two years as an analyst and then jumped into a, an internet company and never looked back. So what was the first company you you what was the first company you joined? First company was called Introware. Okay. This will date me even more, but we were doing something truly groundbreaking and revolutionary at the time, which was electronic delivery of enterprise software. So no more gold CDs, <laughs> Down, you, know, you could yeah. download and update your major, huge enterprise software applications like PeopleSoft and SAP and these kinds of things, and then support them and update them and upgrade them. And it was a brand new world, right? We took the company public, it had a very great rise and then a great fall like everybody else. <laughs> 
And, and how did you transition to a world of infrastructure and hardware? Throughout my career, there's been the, the through line has been infrastructure. So all kind of enterprise, originally enterprise infrastructure, right? So I spent some time at VEA systems doing application server stuff and then actually transitioned randomly into the hardware space as part of a, a buyout of Wise Technology that was intended to turn that old green screen terminal company into a what we were calling thin client at the time, but it was actually early cloud, right? It was yeah. it was absolutely cloud computing, and we were trying to do application streaming and operating system streaming and turn it really into a software platform, additionally to the hardware. And that led me back into, it gave me an exposure to hardware, but it's all been, and I spent some time at Seagate doing a mix of hardware and, and software as well. So I've been in and around enterprise and then cloud infrastructure throughout the majority of my career. And, and open source as well, right? So when I was at BEA, I launched the whole Linux program at that time. Up until that point, everything was Spark Solaris. We did everything open source, enabled Java on Intel, all that sort of stuff. And then starting at Seagate, really got involved in the open compute project from the open hardware side, thinking about how do we change storage interfaces? How do we think about Ethernet attached storage devices, those kinds of things? And let's contribute those to the open communities instead of the traditional standards organizations with the objective of going faster. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And how long have you been at IT Renew? I have been at IT Renew for about three and a half years, pretty much exactly. And what, what does IT Renew do? We are in the business of sustainable data center services and solutions. And what that means from a in a plain English way is we are orchestrating a global circular economic model for the IT hardware industry, which means we we work with, on the one hand, the largest global hyperscale cloud service providers. We help them with their lifecycle strategies. We securely decommission their assets. These are companies that are running fleets of millions and millions and millions of servers, and they, they necessarily refresh that equipment very quickly before the end of its lifetime. And then we transform that equipment and kind of cascade it into secondary lives to maximize the, the lifetime value of the equipment in the, in the aggregate and also maximize the sustainability of that, that equipment. And the sustainability piece comes from the fact that when you think about IT equipment, when you do a lifecycle analysis of IT equipment, a ton of the carbon impact, a significant majority in many deployment models comes from manufacturing. And so the extent, to the extent we can create second lives for this equipment and avoid an equivalent amount of new manufacturing, we're having a meaningful impact on the overall carbon footprint of the industry. Yeah, I think that's a really fresh perspective that I hadn't really encountered until I'd, I'd seen IT Renew. The typical discussion around sustainability in data centers is around power consumption, which is a huge issue. But maybe you can place power consumption in the context of all the carbon that goes into building a PC, the fact that it's embedded there, and why it's so important for the overall equation to recycle a lot of this equipment that we build. Yeah, absolutely. So there's terminology associated with with carbon and with emissions, greenhouse gases, which is called scope one, scope two, and scope three. Scope one and scope two are what people have focused on in the past decade or increasingly in the past two, three, four years, necessarily, right? That's all of the energy that we consume. What is that energy and how is it made, right? What, what electrons power my data center? What electrons power my house? 
And are those electrons produced with coal? Are they produced with solar? Are they produced with wind, right? That's scope one and scope two is the electricity and the carbon that went into producing that electricity. So when you say scope one and scope two, do you literally mean scope one is the is the energy itself and scope two is the material used or the mechanism used to create it? That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. And and that is obviously a massive component of greenhouse gas emissions and a huge and obvious first place to target. So everything that's gone into advancing PUE, which is the metric that <laughs> over the past 10 years, the industry and the data center industry has been forced to really prioritize, which is how efficient is my data center itself, right? And how much overhead beyond the powering of the IT equipment itself do I consume, right? How efficient is my data center operation? And we've made great gains there. In the in in some cases, we've gone from a PUE of three, which means that you're running three times the amount of power that you would actually need to just run your IT equipment, which is the purpose of a data center, down to, in the hyperscale case, 1.05, 1.07, very, very efficient data centers. Yeah, so let's let's pause here for a second and just break yep. this down for the audience. So PUE stands for power usage effectiveness. Is that correct? Yes. And the way it's calculated, the way to think about it is imagine you have a rack of computers, and let's say that that rack is consuming 15 kilowatts of power. Yep. That at the simplest level, in the theoretical level, it should only take 15 kilowatts of power to power that rack of computers. But you have to cool them, and you have to dehumidify, and you have to so you have fans and moving parts and all kinds of other things. So the PUE is the, the, the ratio of additional power you have to put on. So as you said, a PUE of three would be, it takes two times 25 kilowatts to power 25 kilowatts. So that'd be 75 kilowatts for 25 kilowatts. And what you're saying is now we're getting PUEs down into the, the 1.0 something? Is that what I heard? In the hyperscale case, yes. So in these big, you know, these big, big modern, highly optimized data centers that are being run by people like Facebook and Google and Microsoft, yes, 1.05, 1.07, especially also some of the smaller facilities, but facilities that are, for example, situated up by the Arctic Circle. Eco Data Center is an interesting one up in Lulia, Sweden, doing really efficient data center designs, they can be very, very low. Enterprise data centers, probably more 1.4, 1.5, 1.6, but still markedly better than they have been historically, which has a huge carbon impact, right? So that's the use phase. Think of all of that as use phase energy. And the topic about where do we go beyond that scope one, scope two, use phase energy is scope three. And scope three encompasses everything that happened that all the carbon that goes into equipment before it ever gets powered on and after it gets turned off. So pre-use phase and end of life or post-use phase collectively make up scope three. And that's the carbon together, they make up the whole carbon footprint of, of any IT equipment. So it's very easy for me to understand the carbon footprint of consuming electricity, but aren't there other footprints with hardware? I mean, the precious minerals, and how, how does that figure yep. into sustainability yep. and circularity? The biggest part of scope three is the manufacturing. Right. So everything that goes into making mining, what, what is the carbon, what are the emissions tied to mining? What are the carbon emissions tied to manufacture of components? What are the emissions tied to assembly? What are the emissions tied to transportation of components from wherever they're mined to where they're assembled? All those kinds of things. All of that is collectively scope three. And there's a system boundary question of, okay, do you do you encompass like the human labor transportation that went to the mining facility and so forth? But 
We've done some work at IT Renew where the boundary is just starts with the mining facility itself, the manufacturer of components itself, all the way through to assembly, and then on everything that goes into end of life, which is post shredding, smelting, sorting, all of that stuff. And in some, in a very common deployment model, right, where you have minerals mined in places like Africa, components manufactured in China, very common, systems assembled in Eastern Europe, data centers run in Europe, in a place like Sweden, and then end-of-life practices done also in, in Europe. That In that life cycle analysis, our data shows that as much as 75% of the total carbon footprint comes from the pre-use phase. So all of that manufacturing. So when we think about the business we're in, in circularity- What's, what's that percentage again? Can be as much as 75% or more. So the actual power consumed running the servers and the air conditioners and whatever else has to happen is only is three times less than the amount it took to create it. Yep. And we That's haven't right. gotten rid of it yet. We just we just built the server. That's right. That's, That's right. fascinating. That's yep. fascinating. And that's why the message I would give about, about circularity and the need to, to get much more sophisticated about how we think about regenerative systems, multiple lifetimes, maintaining the stuff that we've built for as long as possible in the aggregate is not that we shouldn't focus on the use phase. That's, there's an enormous amount of carbon emissions that we have to continue the pursuit of, but there of are mitigating. Doing that. There are people doing that. We must continue that. But if we assume success there, then there's an obvious next place to look, which is manufacturing. And, and the supply chain carbon, it's not just our data, right? Supply chain carbon, if you look at the CDP Carbon Disclosure Project, which is an organization that we and many, many other companies report into to disclose emissions of, of our corporate footprints, I think their data is that across companies, an average of six times the, the operating footprint comes from supply chain. In cases like Microsoft, their data, it's public, 25 times. It's all supply chain. It's all manufacturing. So, And that's because they've done a really good job at being efficient in the use phase, but supply chain is the next big place we all have to look. And it's the lion's share of carbon emissions. And it's not just IT equipment. It's cement and construction and all, and all of everything that else that goes into the physical built infrastructure as well. I remember 20 years ago, actually, hearing of some of the first cradle-to-cradle type initiatives, usually out of Germany, <laughs> where the manufacturers are burdened with the responsibility of getting rid of whatever they build. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to build it so it's easy to take apart and stuff like that. But reuse, obviously, is the, the probably the most efficient thing to do with something at least towards the end of its its life. So let's let's talk a little bit about about that and get specifically to IT Renew. So IT Renew you reclaim primarily hyperscaler equipment? Yes. And we talk about hyperscalers and I I don't know if you name your sources or not, but we're talking about the Googles and the Facebooks and the Amazons and the yep. Oracles and the whoever else is in that that list that, and they build these giant data centers. So how, how big is a hyperscale data center roughly? This is a, a closely held secret of all of them. Nobody likes to publicize the information about exactly their fleets. But if you look at just their capital expenditures, it's pretty easy to assume that they're all running many millions of servers at this point, And then those numbers are growing very many, quickly. Many millions of servers. And yeah. these servers, for people who haven't seen a data center, are in these giant football stadium-sized warehouses, rows and rows and rows after them. How do the hyperscalers decide, okay, it's time to cycle this piece of equipment out? So they all have very sophisticated analytic data science teams that are doing capacity planning. 
And they make those decisions based on optimizing for efficiency at the data center level, right? So they are necessarily at the, the bleeding edge of form factor innovation, density innovation, anything, anything they can do, because at that scale, to squeeze a 1%, a 2%, a 3%, a 4% efficiency is, is very, very material in the overall scheme of their, their financial model and their, their capacity, right? Scalability. So when you, you think about, a lot of people say, ah, wait a minute, Moore's law, it's really slowed down. We're not doubling our chip level efficiency every 18 months anymore. We're getting maybe 10%, maybe 20%. The Intel ticks and talks have slowed down. Why would people keep refreshing so quickly? Because each generation of a computer is nowhere near the generational advantage it was a decade ago. But in the hyperscale case, these guys are still refreshing on average every three to four years. And that's because they're finding other ways to continuously push that efficiency envelope, right? And so, so what happens is they, in some cases, longer, slower. In many cases, they're now getting quite good at cascading some of that equipment in from a primary workload into a secondary workload so that they actually have a longer life cycle. But in the primary workload, think about three to four. <laughs> when it's done being used for, for Google Cloud, it goes to search. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. Yep. And that's that's great, right? I mean, that's the best that's that's the best most sustainable thing to do, right? Keep it in keep it in its highest utility yeah, value, don't move it, zero don't transformation. Just wrap different traffic to it. Right. But in many cases, this equipment comes out after three or four years. And because they're again necessarily pushing that envelope. But what happens is for everybody else, enterprises around the world already run servers for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, right? That is just the way of the, 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 the way that the normal- We're still trying to get rid of PCs running Windows 3.1. Exactly, right? So there's, so there's a, the technology treadmill is nine or 10 years, right? That's, that, that's a very right. logical place, uh, amount of time to run equipment for, for anybody who does not have to be squeezing every 1% in, in you know, perpetually, right? And so- Well, and, and it would also seem to me, and maybe this isn't true, but you would know this for sure, that a three-year-old rack of equipment from one of the hyperscalers may be more performant than anything I can buy off the shelf. That's 100% true. That's 100% oh, okay. true. So one of the interesting things is we, and we talk more about this, we, we take those racks and recycling is kind of like the least worst alternative in this case now, right? Because recycling, yes, it's responsible to keep things out of the landfill, but we can do much more interesting things than that. And now that we have open hardware, we have it available at very large volumes, predictably homogeneous equipment and so forth, we can think about how we create full product portfolios that feed massive downstream global markets, right? And so when we say, we say, I can sell a rack of this hyperscale equipment to or tens of racks, hundreds of racks, whatever it is, to global enterprises at 50% TCO advantage, people say, well, wait a minute, but that's, that's compared to like refurbished stuff. And it's like, no, 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 that's compared performance normalized to new equipment. And the reason is because this is the first time that the rest of the market has been able to get into the slipstream of the hyperscale innovation yeah, advantage. Refurbished usually means less, less, but and it, and in it's your not. case, it's really because we're delivering a density gain. We're delivering right. the benefit that the hyperscalers did from right. a supply chain and a parts perspective where they radically like, upended the supply chain. I can get a Formula One. Chain. Yep. That's, yep. that's really interesting. Okay, so let's let's talk about more about the how IT Renew gets into this. So what used to happen to servers before IT renew. Like what did they, what they do with them when they need to decommission a server? Well, so 
I mean, IT Renew has been doing this for 20 years, right? So it's actually oh, it's actually us that has changed over time, right? So what okay. what used to happen yeah. is, and this started long before there were hyperscalers, right? IT Renew started in the corporate space where we, it was it was about servers and and workstations and whatever. So literally right? refurbishing is where you not started. Refer, not, re, not refurbishing originally, right? So not refurbishing. So we started, the company started long before I was there. The company started basically decommissioning this equipment and then harvesting the components and selling those components into other places, right? And then recycling the remaining materials. Like all the way down to melt the gold off the PCB boards? So we don't do, IT Renew does not itself do the recycling. We work with a network of downstream recyclers. We have always been the engine of decommissioning and then maximizing the financial value of whatever that equipment was in whatever best way possible. Historically, when everything was proprietary, that was all as components. And we still do a lot of work in components. We feed components into system builders globally that are building everything from, from gaming stations to white box servers to desktops to crypto mining rigs to whatever, set-top boxes, right? So we still do a lot of components because in some cases especially where we're decommissioning proprietary OEM equipment, there's really no option other than to make use of the components. And so that's an interesting thing to do. It's always been a better alternative than just recycling. But what changed in the last few years is that as the hyperscalers all have moved, A, their their fleets have gotten to a sufficient scale that we can really you can really build a solution portfolio around it reliably. But but more importantly, they've moved to open an ODM style hardware. And that gives us the ability to recertify, reconfigure, support, warranty, do software certifications, change power architectures, do whatever it's necessary to then make those same racks with minimal transformation useful and usable by the broader markets, right? So if you're an enterprise running 100 racks in a colo, you don't have 48 volts to the rack. You need a VMware certification. You need other stuff, right? And so we we do that transformation and that's all enabled by open and ODM systems, right? And so now we have, on the one end, we facilitate internal reuse for our upstream hyperscale partners. And that's like the most sustainable innermost circle of a circular economic model. Then we take racks that look like racks and we make them, we sell them as racks. That's the next best thing to do. Then third, we say, hey, wait a minute, compute and storage nodes are just building blocks. Why can't we put those building blocks together in a variety of form factors for the edge, right? Why can't we make them four unit? four node units? Why can't we put them in street lamp towers? Why can't we put them hanging on walls in retail facilities? Why can't we put them along smart roadways in cabinets that are not maybe racks, but they look and feel they need the same compute and storage. And then only after that, if we can't do that, do we strip things down to the components, sell components, and then recycle, right? So now you can see there's this much richer mix of things that collectively avoid as much manufacturing as possible. I'm definitely appreciating the economic sophistication of your business, which is really interesting to me and explains probably also the other side of you, the non-technology side coming at this from investment banking and economics. And you say, look, give us your old stuff and rely on us with our engineers and assembly lines or disassembly lines or partners, whatever, to figure out the highest and best use. That's right. And so do you do you pay the hyperscalers? Is that part of the deal? It's like, look, we'll get the highest best use and we'll we'll revenue share with you? We do revenue share. That is exactly right. And that's the way everybody's interests are aligned, right? We rely on us to maximize the value of this and then we pay a proportion back to, back to the hyperscalers. Right. So if so if I'm an, I'm an enterprise, the value proposition I could go to 
any of the big manufacturers or any of the L11 rack assembly guys, and mm-hmm. I could specify my equipment and get something, and I would pay whatever the dollar amount is, or I could come to IT Renew. And I guess when you say Sesame, so Sesame is the product line of these re... Re- yeah, Sesame is, the, Sesame is the brand that we sell the recertified racks and edge solutions under. Got because you've so, got all these other lines of business of decommissioning and selling into parts and stuff. So Sesame, so I right. come to you to buy a, a to buy a rack of computers like mm-hmm. I might go to Dell or HP or something. Correct, okay. exactly. And now with your edge strategy, you're decommissioning and reconfiguring into other form factors, 2RU, 4RU. So, so what's involved in taking a rack out of a hyperscale data center. So you mentioned something like certification for enterprise. What about all the, the data that's on the disks and like what happens to all that stuff? Data security is is table stakes, right? That's, that is that is the essential foundation of our business. We have a data sanitization solution that's called TerraWare, which is in use by many of the big hyperscalers to do secure logical erase. Unfortunately, many still, even after they do logical erase, physically destruct storage media. That's just the reality of, of the, the risk-reward trade-off currently from a sustainability perspective. Not ideal. Hopefully the ecosystem will move forward because we all know, I mean, in in the 10 years that TerraWare has been running, we've done forensic audits throughout that time and never has a piece of data been found on a TerraWare wiped disk. So we believe that Physical logical erase is, is yeah. sufficient but there, there are some hyperscalers that are not ready to, to accept that yet. Others do. Others we sell storage media, we resell storage media for. So it's really a, it, it's it's an individual decision by by each. But that's the essential underpinning. So we the the discs come to us wiped one way or another. They either get destroyed or they don't get destroyed. In many cases, we're then integrating new storage into the recertified racks because that's just kind of essential, right? But then we go through a process where we we physically receive everything. We track everything down to its asset tag. We test everything on an individual level. We configure it to the needs of our downstream customers, right? So some of the transformation that goes in are the things that I mentioned, right? Increasingly, people want onboard NVMe. They want higher, you know, converged infrastructure. We do that. We add, we adapt whatever their power needs are so that if it's single phase here, it's three phase here, it's whatever it is for their specific environment. And then we do the solutions integration. So we'll do, if it's software-defined networking, we'll work with Pluribus, we'll work with Arista. If it's VMware, if it's Red Hat, we'll do, if it's Kubernetes, we'll Rancher, SUSE, we do all of those kinds of certifications, just like you would expect with an OEM. So that then when we sell something, then it's no harder for the enterprise to, to do what they would expect with a traditional OEM solution. And then we deliver the fully integrated rack scale solution networking, compute, storage, and we do a full recertification and support and warranty on the whole thing. So that literally we roll things in, we say 60 to 90 minutes. We just had a a project a couple of weeks ago where we rolled in and from truck to workload was 30 minutes. So the idea here is demystify the hyperscale hardware, demystify open hardware, like open compute. It doesn't have to be harder, but we have to, there is some work that goes into making it accessible to the broader markets. And that's the stuff that we do to ultimately deliver it in a way that, that enterprises can, can run super fast, right? And that's time to value is a big one, especially right now in the supply chain that we're in, right? You asked about the value proposition of this stuff. It's, it's available. We're not manufacturing this stuff. 
right? So that's a huge advantage right now. The total cost of ownership, we, t- we typically say 50% better TCO performance normalized. And so huge cost savings. And then the last is sustainability, right? I mean, people increasingly are authentically driven by wanting yeah. to, to do the right thing from a sustainability perspective. I think that's right. And uh, I was recently doing some research on how marketing changes post-pandemic or post-recession, that sort of thing. And it's loosely studied, but there is some some evidence that sentiment turns to sort of more societal. So it's actually the trend is, is I think, spot on in a number of different ways. How, how do you think edge computing changes the equation for sustainability and equipment? It's a really great question. And I think not yet quantified, but on the surface, I think everything is a data center. Every real estate, every, every real estate owner, every piece of real estate, whether you're a gas station. I'm going to steal that. That's a great uh, line. It's true. It's true. Whether you're a gas station, a cell tower, a roadway, a uh, a railway, a campus, an airport, a car, everything is edge, right? Everybody who is, think about all the, the Web3 stuff, all these distributed networks. Edge is everywhere. Data centers are everywhere, right? And so when you think about that, and, and there's some there's some stats out there. I think there's stats, people saying edge infrastructure could be as much as four times cloud infrastructure. And when you just look at compute and storage resources, not surprising when you think about all the connectedness of everything, right? So, so we have a massive sustainability challenge tied to all that hardware, right? To the point we were just talking about, about manufacturing. If we're going to manufacture all that hardware, there's a massive carbon tax tied to that. On the other hand, maybe there's some gains, right? Because maybe we're saving a ton of energy that's that's today used to transport all the data back to the core data center, right? And back and forth and so forth. So maybe maybe there's some benefits there. There's also a facilities consideration, right? In the core data centers, we talked about PUE in, in a Google or wherever is 1.07. But if I'm using a a facility of some sort in a central urban location that wasn't purpose-built designed to be right. a data center. Cool one rack. You know, yeah. my efficiency is not going to be anywhere near as good. So I, I think we don't yet know the impact, but I think we do know that there's a huge sustainability cost to all of this physical infrastructure. And we have to evolve to a data center, a data, a compute infrastructure model that is regenerative, right? And that's 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 things like how do we think about second lives for equipment? It's things about how do we think about the building materials we use? How do we avoid cement? How do we do heat recapture, right? How do we limit the water usage, right? We have to we have to look at the whole picture and it is super complicated, right? I mean, there are there are point solutions for a lot of this. It's only just beginning to come in where people are starting to to try to grok the whole puzzle, and I don't I don't pretend to to be able to quantify the whole impact yet. But I I do think that we have to think about it's not a data center industry, right? IT infrastructure is the underpinning and the backbone of every single thing that we do globally today, and it's physically located everywhere, and we have to start to be able to measure which means data transparency. It means much different forms of carbon accounting, standards evolution. Like there's a lot that's going to go into making this stuff visible and then being able to, to manage it, right? Because if, if we can't measure it, we can't manage it. And that's I think that's the big next frontier on all this stuff is, is transparency around what actually is the environmental impact of all this stuff. Your passion for this is very infectious. <laughs> Who else is working on this problem at because it sounds like at the scale that you were just talking about, it, it's not enough 
for the point solutions. It's like somebody's going to be looking at all this together. Are there any, any industry groups that are collaborating to figure out how all these, these complex interactions affect each other? There are. There are both companies and industry groups, right? And I do absolutely believe that this is ultimately an ecosystem-wide collaboration, like nobody can solve this on the, by themselves. But there are, if we just start with companies, there's a company, for, as an example, there's a company in Europe called Block Heating, which is a, co- a customer of IT Renews, that is doing fully sustainable modular data centers where they're sitting container-based data centers next to greenhouses, massive scale greenhouses in the Netherlands, which grow all the food, tomatoes, all this other stuff in the Netherlands. And they're using the heat from the servers to heat the greenhouses. That's awesome. There's another company in Sweden, which is doing heat recapture to go back into the municipal grid, right? This is all, this is all really powerful stuff. Companies like Subm are doing great stuff on immersion cooling that have a huge environmental impact, right? And a water impact. So, so there are good examples at the company level, but we, we, participate in three organizations that I think are all trying to bring together companies to and and both private sector companies, public interests and others to to try to figure all this stuff out. One of them is the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. That's a cross-industry platform that's got some interesting work going on on carbon accounting. I think hopefully an opportunity to cross-pollinate from sector to sector. There's the Circular Electronics Partnership, which is very specifically focused on as kind of an offshoot of the World Economic Forum and WBCSD, which is which is trying to have a very specific focus on circularity in the electronics world. And then from a very specific data center industry perspective, the Open Compute Project is also has now prioritized sustainability and the sustainability working group as one of its key tenets and, and is trying to bring together this specific industry to think about everything from design for circularity, design for repair, all of those kinds of things through to best practices around second lives, end of life and so forth. So I'm glad to see that there's work going on. I would candidly say everybody needs to do way more, right? Like all these groups, it's hard to move coalitions forward. We need like real action to take place. And that's where I think I I just personally come back to data transparency. Until we have people committed to sharing data, publicizing data such that it can be acted upon, it's going to be hard to compel the right action. What what kind of data would you like to see? I think we need supply chain data published. I think we need to know, uh, just like I can see where my avocado came from and where it was, that it was organically produced here and how it was transported or whatever. I think we need to know. Where does that thing come from? What went into manufacturing it? Right. Was it using recycled material? Was it not you were using recycled material? Block, there's a yep. record entered to the blockchain every time some, that thing moves or has exactly. something added to it. I love a know, mythical it's, it's, optical scanner where you can just scan your PC and it just goes, here's the carbon content of your PC. <laughs> that actually seems kind of doable. It's re- that's really interesting. I'm going to have to give that some more thought. You mentioned 50% TCO. How do you, how do you get to that? That's that's really impressive. Uh, it's three levels of TCO benefit, right? So the first is the first two really stem from the nature of our supply chain, which is the hyperscale fleets, right? So the hyperscalers did a fantastic job over the course of the past four, five, six years of saying, "Hey, I don't need to pay a premium for OEM equipment. I'm going to design. I'm better at designing my own equipment." And then I'm going to do the deals with the component manufacturers, and I'm just going to pay somebody in Taiwan 2% to put this stuff together for me. And I'm going to order. That's open compute, right? That's open compute. It's all the ODM stuff, open compute and otherwise, right? 
And so, so they, the hyperscalers themselves lowered the cost by moving to standard components and by designing purpose-built cloud-style infrastructure. It's way more dense. It's way more power efficient. It's way more cooling efficient, right? So there's a technology-driven cost advantage that, that is fundamental to our portfolio. There's a second level one, which is the supply chain disruption, right? The hyperscalers disrupt to the supply chain. They move to all the standard components. That brings the, the start cost down as well, right? And carries through. Well, and, and just the huge purchasing scale. All of it, right? And then the third bit is the recertified piece. Think about it as this is these are certified pre-owned BMWs that somebody else drove off the lot. They've got 5, 10, 15,000 miles on them. You get exactly the performance you want. You compromise nothing. It even smells like a new car, right? Looks clean, looks pristine. These, these machines are run in perfect environments, in the best conditions, right? So you get this brand, this, this what feels like a new thing, fully warranted, fully supported. Somebody else drove it off the lot. You don't have to pay that price, right? And so the, the combination of those three things is really what gives us the ability to come to market at significantly better cost. And again, super important, performance normalized, right? So you're not saying... Oh, it's lower cost, but I've got to give up twenty percent performance. We're yeah, able to thing. Say, You're not getting the least return of last year's BMW. You're getting the Formula One, <laughs> right? Right, and that's how we we get to put the building blocks together, right? So my CPU might be a previous generation than somebody else's CPU, but if I can get forty percent better density at the rack level, the cluster level, you're good. You're way ahead. You come out ahead, right? So how dense are your racks typically? Wide range. We can do, currently, we can do up to 96 nodes in a rack in an ultra-dense kind of a fashion. A lot of data centers, yeah, so, well, exactly. So a lot, of, a lot of data centers can't handle that, right? So that could be 25 kilowatts, right? Okay. Most data centers, most colos cannot handle that. So we optimize for whatever, uh, you know, whatever people need at the rack level. Um, most people are not yet able to push the density. But the right, with the right facilities, you can pack that to 20, exactly. 25 kilowatts. Yeah. And you know what? The honest thing, Matt, is people, public cloud taught people, I don't have to worry about the underlying piece parts. What I care about is outcomes per dollar. I want to click, click, click. I want small, medium, large. I want to go. And that's what we're trying to do. Right? We're trying to say outcomes per dollar, cluster level. Don't worry about the building blocks. Let us put that together. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned the, you know, the, the, previously, the previously owned. And I was just thinking, nothing is actually new. Like even the new iPhone came out of rocks out of the ground, right? Like, like, like nothing's actually new. <laughs> And we just got this weird stigma, but you're right. If it has the new car smell and it drives like or better than the new car you could typically buy, what's the difference? And I think it's just a, it's a psychological difference. It's really interesting. And I think we yep. companies like IT Renew will be changing that. I was thinking about the business model innovation that IT Renew had to do, particularly 20 years ago. I mean, I think it's, it's really, really creative in particular because I think it'd be a lot easier to do if the true cost were built into the cost, you know, <laughs> if, like, like what we were talking about earlier, what they do in Germany, right? The cost of disposing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so then, then, then the economic incentives are just, they're carried around on the machine itself. It's you're operating on the fringes, bringing this new business model into reality, as opposed to just being the most obvious thing, right? Like bottle deposits, mm -hmm. right? You're just like, okay, we're going to recycle it because it's, it's cheaper to recycle than it is to, to destroy. Yeah. So there's there's some there's some policy framework work that the industry needs to do as well, not just ourselves. 100%. We need, yeah, yeah. And there's there's a lot of it happening, especially if you look in, in in Europe is way ahead on all this stuff, as you would suspect. 
in terms of mandating, you know, right to repair, mandating. There's a new initiative that's called the Circular IT Pact or something like this. And it's a public, it's a coalition of seven or eight European governments which have entered a pact to team and drive procurement of circular IT infrastructure because it's like they're they're putting their dollars they're putting the carrot out there right there there can be sticks too right there can be carbon tax there can be other things but i i absolutely see back to the subject of collaboration this is public private work teaming that needs to happen there's elements of both to be able to really compel the right behavior change right yeah, and I was thinking about the impact of edge computing on the environment, sustainability, and at, at a simple level, it could just be we're just pulling more stuff out of the earth and sticking it in a place where it's just trapped. And that's there's a sort of depressing view of edge computing, and then there's a really, I think, encouraging view, which is well, let's make it part of the circular economy. Let's figure out how to source the machines that go into these places in a different way, and let's figure out how to how to. <laughs> call yeah. by T Renew and send them yeah. back when we're done. But also one of the big hopes for edge computing when, as you say, there's a data center and everything is that our cities will have these data processing capabilities. And in terms of running real-time algorithms against a fairly accurate digital twin of a city to optimize energy use or reduce pollution or something else. Like edge computing can have a lot of really, really positive effects on the environment that at least balance out, if not completely negate its negative effects. I have to give that a lot more thought. A hundred percent. I mean, I think ultimately, and this gets to why this is such kind of a beast of a topic. I'm actually quite hopeful, right? To, to your point, I, I think you can no longer separate IT infrastructure, compute infrastructure from from anything that anybody does in the world, whether it's commercial, personal, social, health, whatever it is, right? Um, and I'm actually hopeful that we can we can do some both business model and technology innovation in a way that that brings the edge to life, that simultaneously connects the 40% of the world that's not online, that simultaneously is more sustainable. And that includes looking at the whole picture, as you're suggesting, right? It's not just about edge infrastructure, IT hardware, we're focused on here, it has a huge impact, but but how are we thinking about what this stuff is powering, right? Let's look at the whole complete sustainability picture. Yeah, who, which, which, which digital divides are we bridging? Which jobs are we creating? Which pollutions yep. are we reducing yep. Yep. in addition to everything else? This has been really fascinating, Ali. I appreciate you giving me and our audience a lot to think about. I wish as a consumer, I could buy IT Renew equipment. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot buy it as a consumer because we no. have a lot more volume of that than we need. To, that we need, we need a, a more highly leveraged go-to-market strategy. But there are recertified laptops available, right? I mean, candidly, Apple is doing a really good job of using fully recycled materials in their yeah, devices. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, like with my, with my Samsung phone and my Apple computers, I'm trading them in every every time and I'm getting a new yeah. computer every year and somebody else is getting a less expensive computer and Apple's making yeah. money for yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's right. That is, that is all part of the circular economy. This has been a, this has been great, Ali. I really appreciate it. I hope that we get to continue this conversation outside this interview. You've made me sort of passionate about it, so I appreciate you giving me that, Great. that perspective. Great. No, thanks for having me. I obviously love to talk about it, and I do believe that this topic of sustainability and in the context of IT infrastructure is it's our global collective imperative to solve it.
And, and it's at the same time, it's a huge opportunity, right? Data center infrastructure is going to fuel the transition economy, right? It's a trillion dollar opportunity. This is not just sustainability is not a tax. It's an opportunity if we do it right. Right. So uh, we need all the collaboration we can get. Well, and you're, and you're, de- and you're demonstrating it, right? The creativity in the business model is, is really impressive. Um, so Ali, if, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, where can they find you online? They can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way. I'm uh, more active there than on, on Twitter and other places. But yeah, that's a that's a great place to start. Okay. And uh, the different groups that Ali mentioned, we'll put them in the show notes. Ali, thank you very much for being on our show. And I look forward to maybe having a, a check-in in a year from now. Absolutely. Matt, thanks for having me. Great to Great to discuss it, as always. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell Technologies. Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com.